The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Let's go ahead and begin by reading the passage tonight. It's, it's basically three parables that Jesus is, is, is teaching. And as you're going through parables in your own personal reading, um, if you can, try and identify as to who Jesus is speaking to, whether he's speaking to the multitude. Sometimes that's clear. Sometimes, uh, unfortunately, it's not as clear as I would like it to be. Or whether he's speaking to his disciples. I feel like that's insightful. But we're going to be in Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. And he, Jesus said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? and not on a stand. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. And then here are those words again that you probably heard last week. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Still more will be added to you. For to the one who has or possesses, more, more will be given. We want to be that person. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. He will suffer loss. Then we get into the first parable for tonight. Where he says in verse 26, The kingdom of God is as if, or compared to a man, who, a man should scatter seed on the ground. Then the man sleeps and rises uh, night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth by itself produces first the blade, and then the ear, then the full gra- grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he, we return to the man's efforts, don't we? He puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. The time for the harvest has arrived. And we'll finish up with the last parable before we pray. Verse 30, and he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable or story shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, which when sown or planted on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds of the earth. Yet when it is gr- sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches. Listen so that even the birds of the air can come and make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them. That is, he communicated God's truth to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Let's go ahead and pray. So, Heavenly Father, this evening... We gather together, having worshipped you already in song, we now worship you with hearts that are intended to obey your word. We come to these parables, Lord, they they do represent uh, a bit of mystery in understanding or comprehending them, but Jesus encourages us, doesn't he, that if we would have a heart or ears that are prepared to hear the words that flow from his mouth, then we will be able to apply that truth to our life and live. So, Father, we pray for your blessing on our gathering tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, in the minds of Jesus' followers that are those that would gather with him, 
whether they would come from some distance and maybe they would have that one opportunity to sit with him in a synagogue or, or by the Sea of Galilee, or they would be regular hearers, those who lived locally, those who were maybe citizens of Capernaum. It, it's important to know that they would have themselves noticed that he made a change of direction, that he was ministering consistently one way, that is explaining God's word in a way that they could all understand, that he was healing the sick, that he was delivering those who were under the control of evil or, or demons, that he, was, that he would uh, show compassion to those who were suffering on so many levels. But by design, he now becomes less accessible to the crowds. He's not making himself, there's a change of direction to be sure, he's not making himself available to the people as he had earlier in his ministry. One of the things that we would glean from this is that he's going to make himself more available to his disciples. And so in your mind you see that he's with the crowds less, but he's with his disciples more. It is important to know that another way that Jesus has changed things up was, as we've already considered, is now he's going to teach in parables. He's going to teach with these stories. Parables become more frequent. Think of spiritual stories. I, I don't know, when I was younger, I, would, I, I wasn't very good at figuring out riddles. I don't, I don't know how you do with riddles. I, I like to hear them, but then I like to wait, wait around until our teacher in class would explain what they meant. And then as the explanation is given, you know, all of the parts of the riddle begin to make sense. They're clever. But, but Jesus' stories are not unlike riddles, imparting truth. Listen, imparting truth to those who trusted in him. And there's a distinction between in every crowd, even in the crowd here tonight, or those who are joining us online, or those who are joining, enjoying the warm uh, weather outside. Uh, there is something that takes place as we come to God's word, and that is, would even be you on your, in your own time as you open God's word, or you, you listen to a Bible study, or, or, or you, know, you gather with other friends. Every time we open God's word, something happens. We're not always, it's not always obvious to us, but something happens. And that's what was taking place here. There was a separation going on. I want you to think about this. Public proclamation, public, public preaching, private explanation. You know, you can only see, almost see the disciples once they enter into the home or they're by themselves saying, Jesus, when you told that story to today, what did it mean? And Jesus willingly, willingly explained to his disciples what the meaning of the parable was. And I have a couple ideas as to why. I believe that one of the reasons why is because if you stop and think about it, Jesus had three years with his disciples. And I don't know about you, but certainly for me, years are starting to fly by. You know, I'm not going to get into how old I am, but I have a sneaky suspicion that the older I get, the faster time is flying by. And so as the disciples have these three special, unique years with Jesus, they're moving quickly towards the cross. Now, they were, they were unaware of it for the most part. I think Jesus would refer to it from time to time. 
but they're moving towards the cross. And so this time with Jesus' time with the disciples is important. Jesus' disciples were being prepared for the day when he would no longer be with them. That is, that he would leave them. And then they would carry on the mission. And I think when you wonder, you know, if you read the parables and you wonder, Danny, why is it important for me to understand this? It's because it's important for you to understand the kingdom. Because you are carrying on Jesus' mission here on planet Earth in the same way that the disciples did. Well, it might not look exactly like the disciples, but we are carrying on Jesus' mission. And so then the parables become extremely important to If we would have interviewed the disciples and said, hey, you know, Jesus is going to leave, he's going to die, he's going to be buried, he's going to raise from the grave, he's going to ascend to the right hand of the Father, every one of the disciples would have been, no, that cannot happen. But what they didn't understand is that truth, listen to this, truth was given to them so that they might share it with others. Truth was given to them so that they might preach to others the same way they watched Jesus preach. I want you to also think that his pivot, that's become a popular word since the, uh, since the pandemic, but that his pivot was a form of judgment. Again, against, against those who had accused him of, ha- of being empowered or possessed by Satan, a charge that revealed the hardness of their hearts. So then referring to Pastor Drew's study last week, at the conclusion of Mark chapter 4, verse 9, we hear these words where Jesus says to those who heard the parable of the sower, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This again underscores, listen, it underscores the importance of hearing, reading God's word with a heart that is receptive, with a heart that desires to obey. If we don't listen with this kind of a heart, then our hearts can become hardened. So then it is a bit of a warning, isn't it? You know, hearing is important to me. Uh, A couple of years ago, I was trying to figure out how many, I'm I'm not sure. Uh, There was a little bit of an event between me and my wife. And I'm going to kind of become a little vulnerable with you. And and it was a couple of years ago, we were living in Fallbrook, in our home there in Fallbrook. And we had had a little bit of a discussion. I, I know you guys, you guys know me. It was an argument. And it had something to do with me not hearing my wife. And I don't know if it's because of the years I was in construction using power equipment or the years when I was younger listening to Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix. I'm not quite sure why, but if I were to admit anything to you, I can't quite hear as well as I, as I used to. And so then we had this, this discussion that resulted in a, in a drive from, from, from Fallbrook, California to Phoenix, Arizona. That's five and a half to six hours, depending on how fast you drive. You can... Don't tell anybody, but on some stretches of road, you can go almost 80 miles an hour. Not me. I've watched other people do that. It hasn't me. But we didn't even speak to each other the totality of that time. So much so was the disagreement. And as we arrive in Phoenix, we check into our apartment. My daughter, uh, we check into our hotel. My daughter's there. We go out to dinner. And, you know, it's uh, chips and salsa and not much conversation. And get back to the room. And we begin to talk about what had happened. Uh, thankfully, thankfully, right? We were beginning to work it out. And what had happened over the course of my relationship with my wife is I've known her since I was 15 years old. So I began to think that if I heard the first part of what she said and the last part of what she said, I could easily fit, fill in the middle. 
I could easily figure out what she was saying, except I was wrong. And so at the conclusion of our discussion, I said, you know, when we get back home, I'm going to make an appointment with an audiologist, and I'm going to have my hearing checked. Now, even as I'm saying those words, I have full confidence that I'm going to be, um, you know, that the the doctor's going to tell me, you hear fine. So I, I show up, and, and, and I'm a little self-conscious because, you know, even being, having my hearing tested bothers my, my, my male pride a little bit, and, you know, things are starting to thin out in other areas of my life. And so, you know, I, I meet with the doctor and, you know, fill out all these forms. And, and he has this little booth, uh, soundproof booth, and a chair inside, and he goes, okay, Mr. Ramos, sit down. And he gave me a... Uh, a clicker for my right hand and my left hand. He goes, when you hear a sound in your right ear, I want you to give it a click, and your left ear, the same thing. I got this down. So they put the headphones on, listen again to Led Zeppelin and Santana. No, not really. And I'm sitting down, and, and then I'm troubled because I'm not hearing anything. And then I say again, I hear one, I hear one. Oh, there's one over there, there's one over there. And then this is the way Ramos thinks, right? Haven't heard anything for a while. Let's throw a couple over here and a couple over here just in case. And so then finally, after what seems an eternity, I, I take off the headphones and go out. And he says, Mr. Ramos, just wait a minute. And he goes over to the, to the machine and prints out a report. He pulls out the report. He holds one sheet here, and it just keeps full unfolding all the way to the ground. And he says, you know, he goes... He goes, you have suffered hearing loss, which is normal for a man your age. Okay, wounding the male pride, right? He goes, which is common for a man your age, but you have lost a lot of hearing with certain frequencies. He says, you're going to find it different, difficult, Mr. Ramos, to hear women and small children. And I'm going, oh my gosh, she's right again. So I was... I was fitted for hearing aids. And, and, and it took a lot for me to wear them because none of my friends wear hearing aids. None of them. And so, you know, I, I came in and, you know, I had hair then, so I tried to cover them up a little bit, and, and I was just very self-conscious of them. But what I began to notice to happen is that these misunderstandings with my wife became less and less as the hearing aid I became, my brain became used to the hearing aid. Now, let me tell you one thing that really motivated me to do this. Is that my doctor told me, Danny, it's important that you wear these because even though they may be uncomfortable as you're getting used to them, listen, if your brain isn't stimulated by those frequencies, over time, your brain will lose the capability of hearing. And my friends, as Drew, Pastor Drew laid out the hard heart, the shallow heart, the heart that had competition with the thorns and the thistles and the fertile heart, you and I need to be careful how we hear God's word. You see, I believe that it was the religious leaders who were represented in the path, in the road, in the hard heart. I believe it's the individual who comes to the Bible and says, I know this story. I've taught this story. I've studied this story in the original language, in the original Greek or the Hebrew or the Aramaic. I am in a position to teach this story, and this is where the air is. We stop applying the truth of the Word of God to our hearts and to our lives. 
And the birds come, and they pick up the seed, and they fly away. So as we look at Jesus' parables here tonight, uh, we're going to look at the three we've already read about. We're going to begin with a lamp on a stand, beginning in verse 21. It's a familiar word picture. I like word pictures. I like individuals who can communicate and, and kind of paint pictures. But it's so f- it, this is so familiar that it has a, it's in the hall, Sunday School Hall of Fame uh, songs. You know, I've got this little, little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan blow it out. I'm gonna, I mean, how many kids have gone through the hand motions? Maybe even some of you are sitting here tonight. And so we're dealing, we're dealing with a, an oldie but a goodie. So let's go ahead and read it again. Uh, the Galilean ministry, a lamp on a stand. And he said to them, again, understanding who he's speaking to. Is he speaking to the crowds? Is he speaking to the disciples? Within the crowds are those who have trusted in him and will in time understand the parable. And there are those who have rejected him. There are those who have said no to Jesus. And so these words will be like the seeds that land on their path. And he says, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket? No. Or under a bed? Is it not brought out to be placed on a stand? For nothing is hidden except that will be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Now, we've already read through this, and so I just want to bring your attention to the conclusion of the section that we read in verse 33, if you, we'll get back to verse 21 in a moment, uh, verse 21 through 25 in a moment. But, but look at verse 33, because Mark is kind of explaining to his readers what's going on here. And he says, with many such, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them. That is, he spoke the word of God. He spoke God's truth to them as they were able to hear it. So then the parables of the lamp, the seed, and the mustard seed are examples, are mere samples of Jesus' teaching at this time. I want you to see that Jesus meets people where they're at. Jesus meets people where they're at, meets them with what they're going through, is where Mark tells us here, as they were able to hear it. Meaning that anyone who listened carefully could receive the truth if they trusted in Jesus. I remember when I first went to church in 1978, a Bible was given to me. It was paperback. It was called the Living Bible and had a lot of pictures or illustrations. Maybe that's why they gave it to me. They understood. It was not necessarily a translation. It was more of a paraphrase. It was more of ideas from the scriptures. But I remember going through this, through this you know, I was in construction, so I was an early riser. I remember having my breakfast and going through the pages, and as I would lay it aside, I would have a sense that it was, and I, I use this terminology, I don't know that I explained it to anybody this way, but I had this feeling like, as I would walk away from that thing, i go, I'm not sure if I am reading the Bible as much as I'm sure that the Bible is reading me. I'm not so sure that this is a book unlike any other book I've ever read in my life, and I'm not a big reader, but as I would read it many times, I would weep. I would cry, not really understanding why. And then I remember one time as I was getting in my vehicle to to go to church, uh, go to work, I was working at a nuclear plant. I remember thinking, as I left that book on the 
dining room table, I feel like it is alive. I feel like it has a life of its own. Anyone could understand Jesus if they, listen, the key is to trust in him. If somebody was, once asked me, or, were parables uncommon at this time? No, many, many rabbis, many, many teachers would incorporate parables or stories into their teaching. And probably if you look at the Old Testament, probably one of the most famous parables, you'll be familiar with it from 2 Samuel chapter 12, was when Nathan came to David. And he began to, and you know David's background as a shepherd, he began to tell David the story of this, of this man who had one sheep, one ewe, one almost like a daughter, like a child to him, and of a neighbor who had many. And what Nathan was doing was he was illustrating what David had done with Bathsheba and the sin that he had committed against Uriah the Hittite. And if you remember anything about the story, and I think this is significant, that there is a righteous anger that wells up within David as he begins to say, that man is guilty, he will pay. And then, listen, at the conclusion of the parable, Nathan turns to David. You're familiar with this, where he says, David, you are the man. You see, these stories are more than stories. And there's a power woven into them. So let's go back to verse 21. When he spoke to them, I believe he spoke to the people. Jesus incorporated the terminology of the time, illustrations of the time, so that the people could understand. And he, he, he speaks of a lamp. You know, when I was in Israel... We would take students, high school students, to Israel. And you go to Nazareth, there's, a, there's a, what is called Nazareth Village. It's the, uh, they replicate what a village probably looked like. And they, you know, they show you, the, you know, the, the wheat and it's growing. They show you the process of harvesting the, gra- the grapes and you know, walking on them, squeezing them, how the, waters, or the, the grape juice. And, and as you're leaving... They give you a little lamp like this. I have many of them. I'm sure my wife has them stashed away somewhere unless she's thrown them away like she's thrown away so many of my valuable possessions. But nevertheless, it's something as simple as this. A lamp would have been found in the most humble home. Again, Jesus is taking spiritual truth and he's bringing it down on the level of the people, making it available to them, certainly not restrictive. It's a clay or terracotta container filled with olive oil and a wick that they would, would, would drink up the oil and then would burn. The answer to Jesus' question is obvious. Everybody who heard him would have understood that no, a lamp is not to be put under a basket. Really, the idea here is a bushel basket. Or underneath a bed. It was to be placed on a stand. In some homes, a small ledge was actually built into the wall so that you could, you could light your lamp and you could put it up high on the wall so that, listen, so that everybody in the evening, when the sun was gone, this would serve as a source of light. And for three years, Jesus was a light that shined in darkness. For three years. But it wouldn't stop there. Listen. He would then, after he would leave, he would shine through his followers. So much so that he shines through you into this world tonight. You, and we'll read it in a minute, you are a city on a hill. 
that can be seen by all, especially at night because of the light from a great distance. This is what is true about you. On the screen, you'll see John chapter 8, verse 12, where it says, And Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. My friends, as we sit here tonight, Jesus is the light of the world. And Jesus is your light. And as he shines through you, he provides light to others. Let me just press pause here for a minute. He shines through you. He shines through every believer. He shines through the youngest believer to the most seasoned saint. He is shining shining through the church into this world a light that cannot be extinguished, a light that cannot be hidden under a basket, or under a bed, it's impossible because Jesus is shining through you. Somebody might ask, well, you know, Danny, give me an example on how the light shines through me. In Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, verse 14, Jesus says, you, this is emphatic in the original language. This is, this is, this is truth. This is reality. You are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Someone once said, you know, the other night I went out, like I said, I'm an early morning riser, and so... uh, I have a couple of responsibilities before Wanda goes, comes, you know, wakes up and comes downstairs in our little condominium. And, you know, so I go outside and I, I sweep the porch. That's a, a daily responsibility. And then if I can hear the, the, the newspaper man, we still read newspaper, you know, I can hear that. I go out and grab the newspaper and bring it in so it's ready to go. But I remember the other morning I got up and it was, it was, the, it seemed like the stars, you could reach out and touch them. And we see the glory of the moon, right? The glory of the moon is but the reflection of the sun. And Jesus is reflected into this dark world by you. He says, let your good works be seen by all. Danny, what does that mean? I believe that it is, it is when you and I share truth with others. It's when, it's when you and I share the gospel, which is central to Jesus. When you and I tell somebody about Jesus, that we are shining the light of the truth, that, that when you and I live out our faith, a number of, a, a couple of years ago, I was sharing with some high school students there on a leadership team, and they invited me to come in. They wanted me to speak about service. And, and, and one of the angles that I was working is that each one of us have a platform in life. We, you, know, you know, I say, you know, in, in high school, you know, maybe you're a freshman and so your platform's not so big, but, but then maybe you're a senior, you know, and you have, this, you have this wonderful, you know, position in school. I go, well, maybe you desire to, to, to go to university to, 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 get, a, to get a degree and, and to, you know, to pursue a career or a profession. Each one of these things represent a platform in life. I go, and then, you know, maybe there's a, you know, there's a, 
annual income that you achieve. I go, that becomes your position too. I go, and we can bring glory to God that when we use our position, whether it's a freshman or whether it's a senior or a college student or somebody who's established in their career, that whenever you use your platform of influence to reach down to the next person down and to elevate them, you bring glory to God. It's countercultural. It's bringing light into a dark world. In verse 22, for emphasis, Jesus uses a double statement. He says, nothing is hidden. He's just spoke about the lamp being placed underneath a basket or a bed. Nothing is hidden except to be manifest. And then the second part of the statement, he says, nor is anything secret except to come to light. And that's what the truth does. It brings things to light. It exposes the heart of men. On the screen, you're going to see uh, a statement that says, truth hidden in parables would in time be known through Jesus' disciples. The reason Jesus is entrusting the disciples with these truths about the kingdom is so that they could turn around again as their ministries would begin, that they could turn around and have truth to share with others. And that's one of the reasons you and I receive truth. In Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 15, this is a Christmas verse. Sometimes you'll find it on Christmas cards. But Matthew tells us about Jesus. He says, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea or by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have what? They have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God and the God incarnate shares truth with those living in the shadow of death. And you and I shine when we share truth verbally and when we live out truth before others, we shine in darkness. Jesus goes to people in relative obscurity, living in spiritual darkness. Let's go ahead and read two, uh, the words of warning in verses 23 through 25. And then he says to the people, if, he, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear or how you hear. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And, for, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And I think the significance of what we hear, again, it's, it's, it's being repeated. But when you hear the word of God with the intent to obey the word of God, you will be given more truth. But if you hear the word of God without the intent of obeying the word of God, even what you have will be lost. It's incorporated into the truth. On the screen you'll see God's truth reveals the condition of the heart. Currently I'm going through the book of Job. I think the first time I read it through, I was a little overwhelmed with this screen, you know, kind of like the, the screen or the curtain being pulled away and, 
you know, the God in heaven, the sons of God, that would be angelic beings coming and going and, 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 and the Lord, you know, God having a conversation with the devil. And then, you know, Job seemingly, you know, just being a pretty good guy, being about as good as you can be. And then him having these, uh, these afflictions, you know, strike him again and again. And then he has these friends that come and give him counsel. And sometimes to me the counsel seems pretty good and other times it doesn't seem so good. And, and, and yet I'm always, listen, I am always in awe when a God who remains silent throughout the totality of the book begins to speak. And it's almost as though when he speaks, everything is put in its place. And probably one of the most profound words is when he asked Job, were you there when I? Were you present? Was it by your wisdom? Was it by your understanding when I, God, created and I think sometimes in our lives, when things just don't make sense, and they don't, that it is that interaction with God through his word that reminds us that he is in complete control of all things. Let's go ahead and look at the parable of the sea, beginning in verse 26. He said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. He doesn't understand what's going on. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest, the harvest has come. This particular parable only is only contained in Mark's gospel. And I think I said in the introduction many months ago now that Mark received, received this information from Peter. And so there was something that struck Peter about this particular parable. And Jesus is speaking of the kingdom of God or God's rule here on earth. And he compares it to something as common as the planting of a seed. In fact, the idea of planting seed and harvesting grain serve as bookends to the parable. And so we see that the, the, the seed is scattered. It's likely plowed under the ground, and then the farmer walks away, or the worker walks away, and he gives no attention to it. We don't expect him to come back the next day and expect to see anything pushing through the ground, nor do we expect that week to see anything, but he goes away and he goes about his own business. He plants the seed and he goes about his own business, but Jesus says something's still going on. Something is still happening. There's a, the seed germinates, it sprouts, it grows, and it, it matures mysteriously as far as the man is concerned. He doesn't know what's going on. And Jesus says in verse 27, he knows not how. There's something in the seed that causes its growth apart from man's understanding without his involvement. We share the gospel, and it is as though it has a life of his own. I remember a couple of, uh, maybe it wasn't too long ago, I shared with you this experience I had actually uh, led up to my conversion. So I was 22 years old. I was working in a nuclear plant, had no church background, didn't know anything about the Bible. I did little I knew about it came from Linus, you know, on the, uh, the Christmas special where he would share um, to Charlie Brown what Christmas was all about. And I remember that I was in Elevation 63 in, 
the containment, number two, at San Onofre. And my pager had gone off. I was going to a phone to be able to call the office and find out what they would want me to do. And so as I'm walking by these two men, one shares to the other, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits or loses his soul? And I just kept walking. I didn't know that was scripture. I didn't know it was truth. I kept walking, but, and, and neither one of the men knew that I heard. And so I just kept walking, and over the next day, I began to think about it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? But gains the whole world, loses his soul. And then that truth began to show me things in my life that I was living for, that I was putting my trust in. And I would say within a couple of months, late at night by the side of my bed, I got down on my knees, and I didn't, I didn't pray a sinner's prayer. I just said, God, please save me. Please help me. And that night, I became born again. Now, here's the thing related to this particular parable. The man casts the seed, and he walks away. You share truth, and you walk away. I oftentimes wonder if... If the one man who, was, who spoke this truth to the other man went home that night thinking, well, you know, I shared truth with this guy and he didn't do anything. Uh, I, nothing happened. I, I wonder if I should stop doing this. You know, now there's an awkwardness in our, our working relationship because I, I shared truth with him. And, and maybe he even went home that night and got in his truck and went home and felt like a failure. Little did he know that as he was casting seed that part of a seed fell in my heart and it germinated and it grew and it yielded a harvest. And little do you know, little do I know that when we share the truth with others, we walk away and allow that seed of truth to accomplish what God intends for it to accomplish. My friend, especially as we get into this last parable, the kingdom of God is expanding around the world right now faster than it's ever spread before because Christians of all spiritual maturities, all different giftings, are sowing the seed in the hearts of men, women, and children, and nothing will stop it. Nothing. Nothing can stop it because Jesus is the light of the world. It's impossible to stop the spread of the kingdom of God. And so we see in verse 29, when the grain is ripe, or at the right time at once, he quickly puts in the sickle and the harvest, the grain. Man's part is to share the gospel, leading and lead people to Christ. On the screen, you'll see a statement, spirit-empowered people overcome fear of rejection in order to share the gospel. With your own words and with your own life, you will overcome fear by the power of the Spirit of God, and you will see it one day a harvest. Okay, let's go ahead and wrap up with verses 30 through 34. And he said to them, this is the parable of the mustard seed. This too probably has um, a certain amount of familiarity with. And he said to them, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Now remember, this is the kingdom of God or God's rule in the lives of people in the lives of this world, and what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. 
Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches, so even so that the birds of the air can make nests in its, in its, in its branches, in its shade. With many such parables, and we already talked about this, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. We're just going gonna to wrap up now. I wanted you to remind you that the disciples are being prepared for the day that Jesus will be gone. I want to remind you that these parables are for you and for me in our mission as we follow Jesus. I also want to remind you that the kingdom of God is spreading even now around this world. And it is spreading in your heart as you come to the word of God. The kingdom of God is spreading. On the screen you'll see, when you feel inadequate, remember, Jesus is working in you. Jesus is working through you. So in verse 31, Jesus uses the smallest seed known to his listeners that would have been in Israel or Palestine at the time. There are certainly smaller seeds in the world. Uh, But again, this is a comparison. The idea that Jesus' ministry that began with 12 men in Galilee, which was at that time a relatively obscure place, would spread to the entire world, and it has. As you and I look back, we see it grow and grow and grow as we look In the world today, it is growing, and as we anticipate Christ's return, the kingdom of God will one day encompass the entire world. Notice the seed eventually becomes, verse 32, larger than all the garden plants. This is a contrast between the smallness of the seed and the large, the mustard seed, and the largeness or the size of the plant. Regarding his death, Jesus told his disciples in John 12, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was that seed that was planted into the ground and died. And yet he has given life to each and every person in this room. Or at least he has made life available to you if you will receive him. And he's not only given life to us, he's given life to thousands upon thousands of people around the world and down through the ages. He is the seed that died and bears much fruit. The power is not in man's ingenuity or strategy. The power is in Jesus. And we'll close out with talking about the birds of the air. And there's just numerous different explanations, and I'm going to give you one view tonight that the birds of the air represent the Gentile nation, something that would have been unthinkable to Jesus' disciples at the time. In Jesus' commissioning of the church, we read in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 19, where Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 17, verse 23, on the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it. God says, I will plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. And the prophet speaks of one day the nations gathering the kingdom of God, something that we're experiencing tonight. 
So here's the heart and the plan of God, that the nations will receive the gospel. By way of application this week, if you would think about God's word as we're done here tonight, I want you to think about hearing with the intent of applying God's word to your life, obeying with the intent of seeing God's kingdom expanded in your sphere of influence. Would you join me as we have a word of prayer? Father, the incredible story of the gospel that you would send your son into this dark world to be light. That Jesus, you would not only shine into our hearts and to our minds, but that you would shine through us to the world around us. That there would be a very real sense that for every man, woman, and child in this room, that the word of God is alive, that it is powerful, that it is sharper than a double-edged sword, that in, it, that in its economy it has the power to change and transform it if we will hear it with the intent of obeying it. And that as we receive the word of God, it will flow through us to those who do not know you. Oh Lord, we don't have to manufacture or make anything happen. We, through conversation and through example, bring life into the, into the realm of the lives of others. And tonight, Lord, might we, might we leave this place realizing that, that your rule, that your kingdom is in us, and your rule, your kingdom is expanding through us to the world. This is reality. This is what's taking place. That regardless of the current events around us, the kingdom of God is expanding now. And the invitation is, is being sent forth to every man, to every woman, to every child to receive Messiah and live, to live eternally, to live fully. So Lord, as we leave here tonight, so we have a couple of songs to worship and to praise you, but as we leave here tonight, might we have confidence in your word, have confidence in the gospel, have confidence in Jesus, that you truly are, Jesus, the light of the world. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.